Isaiah chapter 61. Verses 1 and 2, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And when you have it, look up. In effect, God, Jesus, the living word, is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. My message this morning is healing the brokenhearted. He has anointed and sent me, Jesus said, to bind up and to heal the brokenhearted. Some patterns of addiction and self-destruction, self-destructive behaviors in life are formed by selfishness and sin. But some are formed by a broken heart. And that's what we want to go after this morning. You know, when bones break, until they heal, they can no longer support weight. And some breaks are what they call uh, uh, oblique displaced fractures. I I had one once, won't describe it, but it's when the bone doesn't just break or fracture, but it comes apart and it separates like this. And so... With breaks like that, they have to manipulate and realign those bones and fit them back together and then bind them up. So it's quite a painful experience and it's quite a job. But if it's not done, those breaks never heal properly and they leave a lifetime of pain, immobility, and disformity. Well, the same is true of fractures of the heart. There are myriads of people that live in patterns of failure and bondage that seem inexplicable and inexcusable to others around them. And they can be difficult to deal with, these people. They can be unable to break free. And uh, most people around them just can't understand why they can't just simply overcome, set aside certain things and do the simplest of things to help themselves. But their life is a contradiction. For despite their intelligence and their abilities, they are unreasonably incapable of overcoming simple limitations. Sometimes these are people with great IQs, tremendous skills and talents and and uh, you just don't understand why they, why they can't seem to get past these things. And their life, as I said, is a contradiction. They are the intelligent girl with no self-esteem, the gifted guy with self-destructive behavior, or the kind-hearted woman slavishly devoted to abusers, a multi-talented man who's imprisoned by anger. There are none in life so broken 
as the one who is broken by their own hand. That is the worst kind of broken heart when you know that you've done it to yourself or you believe that you've done it to yourself. But they are all like prodigal children, paralyzed by self-condemnation who can't forgive themselves and come back home. And so they seem stuck out there forever. Well, here are some facts about broken-hearted people. Because we may have broken-hearted people sitting here this morning that have learned years, maybe decades ago, to just simply develop a workaround around those bruises, around those pits in their heart and stagger on through life. And so you may find yourself in these descriptions. And my prayer, my hope today is that everyone who is coming through life with a broken heart will be able to really come this morning before the Lord and let that healing process begin. So here's some facts about broken-hearted people. Broken-hearted people are trapped in bad mental habits that hardened like scar tissue around wounds in their heart that never healed. Another one is that uh, broken-hearted people have bruised emotions around which their minds have paved detours and erected defenses. And therefore, they have critical intersections in their hearts that they can't seem to get to. And uh, because those roads have been closed since their young and tender and formidable years. Another one is that broken-hearted people wrestle against constant weariness. Their minds, their hearts are always worn out because they fight off the urge to throw in the towel and to give up. Like the vehicle that's in desperate need of a front-end alignment, their life is a wearying struggle to keep themselves on the path. It's never easy. Their family and their friends are baffled as to how to help them, and they even usually quit trying. Another fact about broken-hearted people is that they avoid painful facts and realities in their life. You could sometimes see these things that seem so obvious, but they can't see them. There's a fog surrounding the pain in their heart and the realities are too hard to face. You know, the shortest distance between two points is a simple straight line. And so the advice is just do it. Just go from here to there. But for them, that simple straight path is impossible. They are lost in detours and diversions and back roads. Their life just seems to constantly be going everywhere but that simple destination. A final fact I want to share about broken-hearted people is that broken-hearted people blame themselves for their own failures and addictions. You see, as I said in the beginning, some patterns of addiction and failure and self-destruction in life are formed by selfishness and by sin. 
But many of those brokenhearted people's failures, brokenness, and patterns were formed by terrible experiences in their life, at least experiences that were terrible to them. And they have a broken heart that has never set right. Those bones have fused, but they haven't fused right, and they can't support strength, and they're in constant pain. And so the brokenhearted person eventually, inevitably, and usually early on, begins to blame themselves for the way they are, for their failures, for their addictions. If you know a brokenhearted person, then you probably know someone who is staggering under the heavy stone of inferiority and guilt. They've never understood the injury to their own heart. They've never understood the damage to their life caused by a mind that hardened itself around bruises in their heart that were never reset properly. So let me just bring this to a decision because this is a brief message. The real work is not be preaching and talking a lot about this, but once we put our finger on it, it's putting you before Jesus who can heal and can deliver and do the work that no man, not even you yourself, can do. And so the couple of things I want to share with you in bringing us to that point is that physical bones break, but they're easy to diagnose and relatively easy to fix because you can see them, you can feel them physically. But the unseen unseen wounds uh, of the heart, especially in the young tender hearts of children, and there may be people that are sitting here that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80 years old, have never understood the bent, the proclivities, the, the why do I keep swerving into this position, find myself back here again. I make constant throughout my life trips around the same mountain. What is it? But there is a, there is a mystery hanging over your head, because unlike the physical bones that are easy to find and relatively easy to set, the, the breaks, the fractures of the heart are hidden behind a lack of understanding and denial. The behaviors of broken-hearted people are beyond the reach of counselors, by the way, who make fortunes off of the pain of broken-hearted people. But they're There is no counselor, no matter how brilliant, no matter how they can analyze the human heart and the mind, who can fix the broken hearts that Isaiah 61 is talking about. No human counselor can reach you if you have this broken heart. Because counseling relies upon reason, to reason with people. Don't you see? This is what happened, and you can lay it all out. But it wasn't reason that formed those habits and erected those defenses. It was pain and fear. And no counselor can talk fear and pain out of a heart that's still 8 years old, 15 years old, or however old it was when those wounds began to enter in. And at that point, progress for that area of your life seemed to come to a standstill. 
So I summarize all this to say that the brokenhearted of Isaiah 61 that Jesus is talking about are the most isolated sufferers in the world. There's not a lot of sympathy for them. And usually, eventually, hopelessness, both in the brokenhearted and in the people around them, sets in and they just simply live the rest of their life and saying, this is how I am. But few of us go through life being how God really intended us and how we really could be. And in fact, back to our scripture, that's why God said, I myself must come and bind up and heal the brokenhearted. When we think about why Jesus came, we often look out on the landscape of the world. We listen to the news and we think, oh boy, the Lord's got to come soon. And only if people would just read their Bible, if people would just listen to Jesus. But if you listen to what God said himself, he said, I must come. What is the central feature, purpose of my coming? I am coming to bind up the brokenhearted. Hallelujah. I am coming to bring healing that no person can bring. And there are millions of people, both saved and unsaved, in and out of the church, in and out of fellowship with God, who are walking through life with that front end alignment in desperately needed, and they have a broken heart, and they need to be healed. And Jesus said, I have come for you. I have come for you. And let me tell you this morning that the only place the broken heart can be healed is in the presence of God. In the presence. Now, in the presence of God, certain things take place. We could be worshiping as we were worshiping this morning. Weeping, shouting, rejoicing, enjoying the presence of the Lord and still keep many important doors of our heart sealed and closed off. But in the presence, as we truly begin to come before the presence of the Lord, we think of Moses in the wilderness who saw the burning bush, but before he could draw near, God said, remove the shoes from your feet, for the ground that you step upon is holy ground. You see, holy ground in the presence of God is a place of truth. It's a place where we hear things that are painful, but we hear them in a way that frees us, heals us, delivers us. We can't have the conversations with even our husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, or closest friend, or a paid counselor that we have in the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, there is a kind of love called agape that opens up the heart. And we know that it's safe. We know that it's okay. And we can let the Lord pull those things out of us. Heal our hearts, turn us around, and bring the change that we had long since given up believing could come. The complete, full surrender to Jesus' love opens the heart.
the door of the heart to the miraculous healings that he will bring and that begin. Amen. I think one of, the, one of the sweetest stories in the Gospels is in, it's in all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I like the one in Luke chapter 7. Read it perhaps when you get home over the next couple days. It's uh, chapter 7, verse 37 through 50, and it's, in about, it's about the what, what Luke called the sinner woman who came with the alabaster box. Jesus was in a house of Pharisees. In other words, he was, he was at the house where all the ministers, preachers, scribes, experts of the law, he was in the enemy's camp, if you will. These were people who specialized in condemnation and guilt and defining the rights and wrongs and the barriers. These were the last people that anybody with a broken heart would ever trust themselves in the presence of. You never want to be around people like this if you have a broken heart because they will simply drill you in and push you deeper into your lost state and into your condemnation. But there was Jesus at that house in the midst of them. And I'll just read this little excerpt. It says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And the story many of you know, if not read it, get all the details, read every bit of it. But when it was all over, the Pharisees had a fit. They went crazy. They were so offended and disgusted by this display. And yet Jesus challenged them. And he just, to summarize what he challenged them with, he said, who is the one that loves the most? It's the one who was forgiven the most. And he explained to them why this woman's display, so offensive to them, was what it was. Because she had heard, she had seen Jesus. She saw in him the holy ground. She saw the one man she could go to and be healed and be put back together. And seeing him brought about a behavior in her that I guarantee you was supernaturally inspired. She would have never walked into that house. Now, some people are show-offs. Some people, you just have to give them an opportunity, and they're going to be talking. They're going to be showing off. They're going to be doing their thing. But this is the person, this woman is the person who doesn't want to be seen, doesn't want to be heard. She's in the shadows. She's skirting the public scrutiny and would never be in the presence of the Pharisees. Yet there she is standing behind Jesus, weeping, and then getting down and washing his feet with her tears and drying them with the hairs of her head. Um, 
this was a supernatural healing taking place in this woman. When, and, and what you say, well, what did Jesus say that made her do that? Apparently, he said nothing. He was just there. It's called the presence of God. The presence of Jesus. If you come into his presence, he knows what to do. And you'll know what to do. If you're brokenhearted, come into the presence of God. You will know what to do. You can't figure out how to talk and, and put it all into a, some sort of a, a presentation, what's going on in your life. You can't even figure it out. You get into the presence of God, and He's not going to make you talk it out. Within those minutes or hours that you spend in His presence, it'll just simply dissolve the bondages, the horrible, painful truths that you could never face will come out. Not through counseling, not through regressive counseling, not through having to bring it all up and talk it out. It dissolves. Agape goes to work and expunges it out of your heart. And that love of God, as you allow His love to move into your heart, you're never again paralyzed by shame, by guilt, by fear. Because you know, no matter what people think or what people do, He knows me. He loves me. God, who sits on the eternal throne, loves me and cares. Can you say amen? So when you truly come to the presence of the Lord, without caring about who knows, those chains that held your heart will dissolve into freedom. And you know, it is the fact of his love for you that becomes your new reality. The Apostle Paul said about himself, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. If any man had a weight um, of self-inflicted guilt, that man must have had it. But somehow he got into the presence of the Lord. And he later says at the end of the first letter to the Corinthians, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not I am what I am, and that's God's grace. God's cool with it. But I am the man that grace is making. That is the real me. This was the old me, but the real me is the man that grace is making. And God wants to make that real man, that real woman of grace, wants to bring them out of your life. Can you say amen? amen. I love it. I love it. Would you stand with me this morning?